good afternoon, and thanks, Noel, for uh, for being here at the controls. I'm Amelia Gonzalez, and I'm welcoming you here for the next half hour. Uh, Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw will be back next week. In the meantime, we're bringing you a special for the next half hour. We're right in the middle of our one-week summer drive, and we're coming to you because, well, we need to come to you because that's how it works here at, at KPFA. We're listener-sponsored. We don't bring you commercials, and we're here to ask you to support Jennifer Stone, cover to cover the arts programming here, and most importantly, none of this could happen without KPFA. We're going to be bringing you for the next half hour a couple of cuts of our summer independent thinkers a pack that we have prepared. For you, it includes a number of people: uh, Walter Mosley, Eduardo Galliano, Judith Orloff, uh, Michelle Goldberg. What we'll be hearing in a few moments, and Mahmoud Mandani and Michael Pollan. This is a collection, a variety that we are offering you this time around in this mini drive. If you could help us out with a hundred twenty dollar pledge, you get over six hours of these independent thinkers, uh, and it's what has made KPFA so rich throughout history. This is what we're bringing you, recordings that have happened in Berkeley or Oakland in the Bay Area, yours for the asking if you call. We're going to start off with Michelle Goldberg, who is a journalist, and she has been writing about reproductive rights. And she was here not too long ago here in Berkeley, and we are able to bring you uh, her talk. She's talking about the means of reproduction, sex, power, and the future of the world. And I selected this cut because it goes along the lines of what Jennifer Stone brings you every week, her her commentary on the state of society as well as the state of uh, being a woman in this uh, in this in this time in this country in this world. So I thought this would be appropriate to bring you Michelle Goldberg. Her first book was Kingdom Coming: The Rise of Christian Nationalism, and here in the second book, The Means of Reproduction: Sex, Power, and the Future of the World, she she talks about the international battle over reproductive rights. We go to Michelle Goldberg. When I wrote my first book, my first book was about religious fundamentalism in American politics. And when people asked me about it and I described it, everybody got it. Even if they didn't quite know how religious fundamentalism works, even if they didn't know the players, they knew that that was something that existed. When I tell people that I've written now a book about the global battle for reproductive rights, they often look at me sort of blankly. And I think it's a measure of how little is known about this titanically important issue that even the fact that there is a global controversy and that there are all of these interrelated global fights going on is something that's unknown even by people who are very well educated and very well attuned to these issues. So the story that I'm telling in this book, which ranges over four continents and about five decades, encompasses actually all of the issues and all of the topics that have fascinated me in my career as a writer. It's a story about religious fundamentalism. It's a story about globalization. It's a story about the reaches and the limits and the excesses and the follies of American foreign policy. Um, it's a story about women and their quests 
to liberate themselves from strictures that have been oppressing them in almost every society that we know of. It brings together so many different currents into a, into a single story. And it's a story that starts in a kind of unexpected place. Most people, I would say, think of abortion and think of reproductive rights as quintessential domestic issues, as, you know, perennial issues of the American culture wars. And the argument that I'm making in this book, or one of the arguments that I'm making in this book, is that actually American policy with regards to abortion rights and reproductive rights ends up having a greater impact on women around the world than it does on women here at home. Having been born after Roe v. Wade was decided, the um, whole experience of backstreet abortion and clandestine abortion is something that I've always been concerned about, worried by, horrified by, but it's also always been kind of abstract to me. But while I was researching this book in hospitals from Managua to Nairobi to Addis Ababa, I saw over and over again wards where, you know, OBGYN wards, where doctors spend most of their time cleaning up botched abortions, you know, where most of the beds are occupied by women who've been victimized by unsafe abortion. And it brings home to me how much we take for granted in this country and how much is still and how much is still needs to be accomplished around the world. The birth of the international family planning and the international reproductive rights movement, which a lot of us think of now as being a very progressive cause and a very or a very feminist cause, really goes back to the Cold War when after World War II there was a worldwide spread of antibiotics, of, of public health measures, of, of clean drinking water, of vaccinations. And so you had a pretty dramatic fall off in death rates, coupled with a post-war baby boom when as veterans returned home in places, you know, Europe and Japan and, and actually all around the world. And there was no corresponding fall off in, in death rates. And there was a real panic that was shared by leaders all over the world that we were going to see overpopulation on a scale that you know human that humanity had never before experienced that that the Malthusian nightmare that had been predicted hundreds of years ago was finally going to consume the world and what's most interesting is that it wasn't just lefties or environmentalists who had these concerns it was actually a lot of these button down crew cutted national security types who were absolutely terrified that overpopulation was going to cause so much misery in the developing world that it was going to spark communist revolution. And so the way to save capitalism and the American way of life was to inundate the developing world with contraception. Inundating a, a culture with contraception um, and introducing family planning into a culture where childbearing had been Every culture in the world has some folk methods of contraception and folk methods of abortion. But there's also, it's also true that in many cultures, childbearing is more a matter of fatalism than conscious choice. By necessity, if you don't have the ability to control childbearing, um, you learn to adopt your, you know, your, your belief system adopts to, to that situation. So when the United States, and it was the United States at first, really tried to introduce, introduce family planning around the world, what they were doing was not just introducing 
a commodity. They were introducing a whole new way of life and a whole new way of thinking about family and about gender roles. Um, at one point, actually, Disney was commissioned to make a propaganda film about family planning and how much this could improve your life and improve and improve the health of your family. And it showed, you know, a healthy small family with a transistor radio eating eating lots of food and, and flourishing and then fades to this pauperish, skinny, miserable clan where there's more of them and they're all, you know, crowded around a single little bowl. And this is translated into 25 languages in the 60s and distributed all over the planet. What's fascinating is that, you know, in recent years, it's been the United States that's been hostile to family planning and countries like China that have been really panicked about overpopulation. But it was actually the complete reverse. So you had communist countries saying that overpopulation is not a problem. The problem is an unjust economic order, that this is just an attempt to weaken us and, you know, attenuate our numbers. And the United States saying, no, national security, the future of the world depends on you adopting these measures. What happened then is that things began to change in the 70s in a way that completely reversed the polarity of this debate. Women who had come up through the population field and who had, although seen that many of these programs had really incredibly beneficial impacts on women's lives, on women's lives that wasn't always or even mostly the intention. And the language of the people who ran these programs could be quite cavalier with regard to with regard to the women that they were supposedly serving, so that instead of talking about women and the reason that women have so many children, which is sometimes a choice and sometimes has to do with their life circumstances and the roles that are offered to them, sometimes it has to do with questions of power and the fact that they don't have the say about when to have sex or whether to use contraception. But instead of talking about women and their lives and the choices that they make, they would talk about contraceptive acceptors and speak in these very technocratic terms and sanction what was a soft kind of coercion, you know, giving someone a sorry in exchange for a sterilization. Or there was a, an overwhelming um, emphasis on permanent methods like the IUD that a woman couldn't just decide to remove, but which could be a really terrible thing in a place where a woman didn't have access to follow-up care if things went wrong or if the, or if the, or if the five, five years went by and it had expired and she had, she had no way to remove it. So women coming up through this field rebelled against the dominant ethos and they eventually succeeded in taking it over. And so the field that had been about population control and that had been about national security became much more, much more concerned with women's rights. And they succeeded in 1994 in this historic conference in Cairo in getting a global commitment to women's sexual and reproductive rights. And this has had really profound effects worldwide in a way that, you know, some of you are probably familiar with, but it's amazing to me that it has never been kind of put together in, you know, a trend story or that it's not something that's very often noted. There's been a whole series of cases in recent years in which, in, in international courts, in which reproductive rights and, and specifically abortion rights have been recognized as a human right in international law. But of course, even as the women's movement was getting organized and even as feminists were getting organized, um, their opponents were getting organized as well. And in fact, 
there's a kind of direct relationship to, between between the two. Um, fundamentalism is, is very often, not only is fundamentalism almost inevitably profoundly opposed to feminism, and not only do fundamentalists almost inevitably target women and see and see the liberation and emancipation of women as a sign of, of social chaos and a sign that their beloved old order is, is deteriorating. But fundamentalist movements also arise in many cases um, in response to changes in women's roles, and, and women's roles change themselves inevitably in response to modernization and globalization. So this cycle is going on all over the world. So ultimately, if there's several messages but the one thing that I do hope that comes through clearest is that the women who are fighting for change, and there are women fighting for change and fighting for liberation and progress in every country I've visited and, and I think every country I've ever heard about, have as much claim to authenticity as the forces of conservatism and traditionalism that like to claim to be the protectors of the culture and that like to insist that any um, threat to their power is going to adulterate and, and undermine their society. You know, just as we believe that feminists and, and, and liberals and progressives in this country are not destroying our culture, by changing it, I think that other cultures, other cultures can also change and progress without being destroyed. And all over the world, there are women doing that work who desperately need not to be told what to do, not for the United States or for the European Union or for the United Nations to come in and impose our values, but to support them in the way that the conservatives are being supported by equally powerful forces. And that's the voice of Michelle Goldberg, who is a journalist and author and who has always been fascinated by the intersection of ideology, sex, and politics. Her first book, the New York Times bestseller, Kingdom Coming, The Rise of Christian Nationalism, delve into some of the reddest precincts of the United States. And here she is talking about her second book, The Means of Reproduction, Sex, Power, and the Future of the World, which is talking about the international battle over reproductive rights and this is part of the summer independent thinkers six-pack that we are offering you right now in the next uh, half hour i'm hoping to be able to bring you more content as you know we have been trying this week uh, this especially last week bringing you one minute pitches one minute uh, appeals to you asking you for your support right now your financial support which we need uh, we all know that we're we're in a financial uh, crunch as a society, as a country, as the world. We have seen that, and we're hoping that you take this moment, if you're able to, to support KPFA, because we need it, quite frankly. We're not bringing you any uh, commercials here. We don't bring you any sponsorships by any co cosmetic companies or any anything that you would see somewhere else in commercial radio or commercial um media outlets. What we're bringing you is what we think will resonate with you, which will give you analysis, which will give you history. She does 
to be honest with you, I had to cut a lot. She does such a great job in chronicling the stories of how the international court has seen abortion rights, uh, women's rights as human rights, something that this country could learn about. If you heard the Sotomayor hearings, you know that that is a great concern, women's rights, as you heard many of the Republicans. Go to the phone and pledge your support for KPFA. You can do that at one 800 439-5732. That's 1-800-H-E-Y-K-P-F-A. Locally, you can dial 510-848-5732. And of course, you could go online at kpfa.org. I'm going to go ahead and uh, continue with bringing you some of the programming so we don't run out of time. But I'm trusting that you can go to the phone. Again, there are phone volunteers waiting for your call. And we're hoping to cut this uh, drive very short. We know it's summer. We know that you are very busy. And we're hoping that you do... Uh, listen to the appeal of us trying to bring you more programming rather than more um, more time fundraising. So please go to the phone and pledge your support. 1-800-439-5732-848-5732. And again, you could get the KPFA Independent Thinker Six Pack. It is uh, has includes Mos- uh, Walter Mosley, Eduardo Galeano, Judith Orloff, Michelle Goldberg, whom you just heard. Uh, Mahmoud Mandani and Michael Pollan, all of who talk about different issues that basically reflect the programming that we bring you here at KPFA. Without further ado, we bring you Eduardo Galeano, no stranger to the KPFA airwaves. You know him. He, his claim to fame recently was uh, when, Edu, uh, when uh, Hugo Chavez handed uh, President Obama the book that is over 40 years old, Las Venas Abiertas de América Latina, The Open Veins of Latin America, so that uh, President Obama could have a little lesson of the history, the legacy of Latino America. Here he is speaking on June 12th in Oakland. Eduardo Galeano. Well, let's begin with the name, Mirrors. Uh, how will I say that uh, the great Argentinian writer, Jorge Luis Borges, hated sex because sex multiplies people. And he and he hated mirrors because mirrors multiply people. Uh, about about sex, uh, I, I don't yet have uh, an opinion. <laughs> but but about mirrors, I can tell you that I love mirrors exactly for the same reason because mirrors multiply people. And inside each mirror there are crowds waiting to be seen. And this book is, is had been written to recover all those, all those people waiting their opportunity. They made history but are not inside official history and 
I would also like to say something about the cover, the beautiful cover of the book. Uh, some people wonder why I chose this image and where does it come from. And here is the explanation inside one of the stories of the book. West African sculptures have always sung while they worked, and they do not stop singing until their sculptures are finished. That way, the music gets inside the carvings and keeps on singing. In 1910, Leo Frobenius found ancient sculptures on the slave coast, sculptures so beautiful that made his eyes bulge. Their beauty was such that the German explorer believed they were Greek, brought from Athens or perhaps from the lost Atlantis. His colleagues agreed, Africa, daughter of a scorn, mother of a slaves, could not have produced such marvels. It did, though, those music-filled effigies had been sculpted a few centuries previous in the belly bottom of the world, Ife, the sacred place where the Yoruba gods gave birth to women and men. Africa turned out to be an, an unending wellspring of art, art worth celebrating and worth stealing. It seems Paul Gauguin, a rather absent-minded fellow, put his name on a couple of sculptures from the Congo, and the error was contagious. From then on, Picasso, Modigliani, Clay, Giacometti, Ernst Moore, and many other European artists made the same mistake, and did so with alarming frequency. Pillaged by its colonial masters, Africa would never know how responsible it was for the most astonishing achievements in 20th century European art. And after the container, the contain, the contain there is a, uh, some of the short stories at the beginning of the book, which perhaps may, may be a, a good introduction to all the others. 600 short stories. Don't be afraid, I'm not going to read 600 stories. <laughs> just, just choosing some of them. No, no panic. Que no cunda el panic. Que no cunda el pánico, says Eduardo Galeano. Don't panic. He did not read 600 stories. He gave a sampling of his latest book that you hear, Mirrors, Stories of Almost Everyone. And he does such a marvelous job in 
Oh, describing history. Uh, he himself has denied that he is a historian. He says, quote, I'm a writer obsessed with remembering, with remembering the past of America, above all and above all that of Latin America, um, America intimate land content, condemned to amnesia, end quote. This is yours right now. We are offering you this great KPFA Independent Thinkers Pack uh, right now for the next few minutes. And again, I do this all the time, as uh, as Noel reminded me that uh, we we put too much programming here and not enough time to ask you to please go to the phone. But I'm going to go ahead and ask you because we do need this. We need to be able to sustain KPFA, sustain Pacifica, if um, if we're going to move out of this uh, crisis in so many ways when we talk about uh, the effects of uh, the uh the food industry and we have KP as, as I mentioned earlier we have Michael Pollan who talks about that oh so well eloquently Walter Mosley who's an amazing fiction writer and he, and we had this event where Anita Johnson introduced him that was a KPFA event Eduardo Galeano as you just heard him Judith Orloff who brings around who's a psychiatrist and brings around a very holistic approach to uh, psychiatry to mental health to overall health Michelle Goldberg, who brings the history of women's rights around the world, and of course, Mahmoud Mandani, who uh, does an amazing job in bringing the history of Africa and his uh, seminal work, uh, Citizen and Subject, Contemporary Africa and the Legacy of Late Colonialism. These are independent thinkers. We are offering this for $120 if you call now, 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-H-E-Y-K-P-F-A. Let me remind you that this event where Eduardo Galeano spoke on June 12th, it was a sold-out event. You get to get the whole hour. We're talking about over six hours of all these independent thinkers, including Eduardo Galeano, including Michelle Goldberg, uh, Michael Pollan, Mahmoud Mandani, Walter Mosley, Eduardo Galeano. And you get to support KPFA more importantly than anything else. You get to support the programming that we bring you. If you have ever... Uh, uh, smiled at something that Jennifer Stone has said uh, through uh, Stone's Throw. If you ever have thought about something, has she ever provoked you in some way, uh, please consider supporting KPFA right now, co supporting Cover to Cover, supporting Stone's Throw right now. If you call in 1-800-439-5732-848-5732, please go to the phone now. You could also get the book Mirrors, Stories of Almost Everyone by Eduardo Galeano. If you call now for a $150 pledge and you could get both for $250, yours for the asking if you call now. Pledge your support for KPFA. Quite frankly, I think the six CD set, the six pack here of independent thinkers is a great deal. $120, that is $10 a month if you call now. Consider sharing these uh, CDs with different folks and Eduardo Galeano, you know, he says he's not a historian, but oh my God, you learn so much from his beautiful writing. It's just uh, the vignette.
vignettes are just amazing. It just holds you in great stead. You refer back to it. I have a collection myself of his books, and you, I constantly refer back to all of his books. Mirrors is along those veins. Please consider getting that uh, and, and also supporting KPFA. Again, 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Locally in the 510 area code 848-5732. And of, and of course, online at kpfa.org where you can look at all the uh, gifts that we have been offering you in the last few days. But most importantly, we need your support. We need you to go to the phone and support the best premium, the best prize here, KPFA. Please consider going to the phone right now, 1-800-439-5732-848-5732. We have promised to keep this a fun drive very short. We're only going till Friday, but if we're... If we keep that, we need you to keep keep us uh, honorable, keep us honest, keep us uh, keeping in in line with being able to make our financial goals, so that we could be able to bring you the programming that you so count on. We brought you the Sotomayor hearings, and we brought it on a shoestring budget. We had, uh, we just had a very, we had a wonderful volunteer here, Emmy Pierce, who just, uh, you know, was here so diligently at 5.30 every morning and, uh, and, we did it on a shoestring and we brought that to you. Why? Because we thought it was so important to bring you that. Mitch Jesuit wrote, uh, just worked his, uh, you know, his behind off to bring you that programming that he did along with, uh, Leanne Caldwell and so many of the Washington DC team. Please support that type of programming. Let us be able to be innovative and be where we need to be. And the only way we can do that if you give us, uh, if you give us your time and your money. 1-800-439-5732-848-5732. And again, right now, you can get the KPFA Independent Thinkers Pack. $120 will give you that. And you can do our monthly sustainer program for $10 a month if you call now. 1-800-439-5732. Coming up is Free Speech Radio News.